Welcome to the Virtual CPA Success Show for creative agencies, the go-to resource for agency owners looking to scale their business. Join us every week to stay ahead of the curve and position your agency for future success. Hey, y'all. On today's show, we're going to talk with Tammy Bielland of Worklistless about the current state of the hybrid work environment, some tips for managers to improve engagement with their remote team, and our favorite software tools to make hybrid work more successful for everyone. We had a ton of fun talking with Tammy, and be sure to stick around until the end to hear about Jody Grundon's most unusual job. Enjoy the show. Welcome back to another episode of the Virtual CPA Success Show. I'm your host for today's episode, Joey Kinney. I'm joined by Jody Grundon. Hello, Jody. How are you? Hey, doing well, Joey. Good. Our guest today, and I'm really excited for this conversation, we're going to be talking a lot about hybrid workforce and how to kind of create some infrastructures around improving your hybrid situation and, and talk a lot about the future of remote work. Um, our guest today is Tammy Bieland. Um, Tammy, would you like to take a second to introduce yourself to the audience? Yes, thanks for having me. I'm Tammy Bieland. I'm the founder and CEO of Workplaceless. Workplaceless is a training company that specializes in remote work and leadership skills. So we work with organizations to improve their effectiveness in operating in a remote or hybrid model. So my first question here, and I'm, I'm, I've been thinking about this a lot. We hear a lot of times, and I talk to people about this a lot, about how they think that you know running a hybrid workplace, well, it's just like a, a virtual, you know, an in-person thing, but people are everywhere. And I would imagine there's some very key differences that separate your great hybrid workforces from folks who are just kind of getting by. What are you seeing in terms of that from a structure perspective? Yeah, the main difference is intentionality. So really great virtual teams, whether they're fully remote or hybrid, they are very intentional about making sure that uh, the culture that they have, um, as well as the uh, any kind of outcome that they want for the organization, um, it's achievable by all employees, regardless of where they're located. So they're really thinking about um, workflows and structures and processes that enable everyone to succeed regardless of location um, instead of just saying okay everybody can work from wherever now and we're just going to assume that everything is going to happen organically um, so that's the big difference is is that intentionality and investing resources in making sure that those new processes and the new way of working um, actually works for everybody. Uh, and resources can look like a lot of different things, but you know, the best organizations that are really forward thinking, um, they are dedicating an entire function or an entire department or at least one role to thinking about new ways of working and what that looks like for the organization. So, so you can't just be comfortable with the status quo. You have to be comfortable as an organization saying the way that the future is going to look is not going to look like the way that the past has looked. Would you agree with that? I would agree with that. And I would say that the companies that are going to succeed in the long term or even, you know, in the next five years are going to be the ones that are thinking right now about how they can question the way that they're working right now and see how they might be able to adapt to become more resilient um, and flexible and adaptable as you know, our shifting values are really shaping the future of work. Uh, and we're really seeing that in terms of workplace flexibility. Employees want flexibility and they mm -hmm. are demanding flexibility. Um, and that is shaping how employers are, you know, putting together benefits packages and it's shaping their decisions about what they're even going to look like. So, you know, we, we're valuing flexibility and employers need to think about 
how they're going to shift to offer that flexibility. Hey, Tammy, why do you think, um, you know, we, we've been in row for 10 plus years and, and, and have really kind of kind of developed our strategies along the way and have been very successful, low turnover for the longest period of time. And um, then you got these companies that, that came right out of the gate from COVID and some of them successful. And then some of them are like, this is the worst experience ever. And they're trying to force their people to go you know, back to the, uh, back to the office, you know, what, what do you think some are succeeding and, in, in some, you know, some are failing, I guess, in that, in that regard? Yeah, I, I think it's, there are lots of reasons, but I, my hypothesis is that the ones that are failing are the ones that are not truly listening to their employees, right? So it's one thing to fail or think that, remote work didn't work or it sucked, right? You know, yeah. during the pandemic, right, right. because yeah. you were working during pandemic and you didn't have any opportunity to connect with, like, you know, not even anyone beyond your home. Mm-hmm. Um, and so of course, any work situation in that particular context is going to be less than ideal. So, you know, for me, I I would question number one, you know, what are the metrics by which they are measuring success or failure for remote mm-hmm. work? Um, and a lot of it is, I just feel like we worked better in the office, right? It's a lot, it's not based on any kind of objective metric. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they're not, really asking the right questions or listening to employees when it comes to what they really want. Um, Because, you know, study after study shows that employees do want flexibility. They -hmm. don't want to be forced back into the office five Mm -hmm. days a week. Um, And so there's a real disconnect between companies you know, thinking that there's one right way for innovation and success. And then employees are saying another thing. Um, and then the data actually, when it comes to showing how you can achieve, you know, business outcomes, working in a flexible model, you know, you can achieve them. And so there's a a real disconnect between what employers are feeling, you know, and what they want to, to maintain when it comes to Mm -hmm. the status quo, um, and then what employees want and then what, you know, what the research shows or what the data show, um, you know, can actually help enable, you know, the achievement of those outcomes in, in a flexible work environment. Do you think, do you think some of that is due to them wanting to exert control over their team? You know, yes. the fact <laughs> that they can't see their people, you know, that all of a sudden that means they're not working or yes, absolutely. they try to call somebody and they don't pick up right away or they're on a zoom call. They're not answering right away. So that automatically the assumption is they must not be working. Is that do you see that at all, or do you think? That yes, at all? every time I see anyone quoted or had like say anything regarding I need them in the office because I need to know that they're being productive, that to me tells me more about their management style than mm-hmm. anything about the productivity levels of their employees. It just means to me that you can only uh, you only rely on one input to um, you know to gauge whether somebody is achieving. Uh, what they're supposed to achieve. And that's just like a visual. You need to be able Mm -hmm. to see them in their seat. But you don't know if those people are actually working. They could be in the office. They could be shopping online. They could be, you know, just not being or not making effective use of time. Um, Guaranteed, they're all on Zoom calls, right? So Mm -hmm. (laughs) they can easily do that from home. Um, So it absolutely is a question of control. And then the other factor that I don't think we're talking about enough is real estate. You know, the companies have spent 
how many millions and millions and millions of dollars on real estate. They have long-term leases. In many cases, they've invested a mm -hmm. lot of money in redesigning uh, workspaces that are optimized for collaboration, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And so they don't want to, you know, they don't want to waste the money that they've invested in real estate. And I don't think that we're, we're talking enough about that being a huge driver mm -hmm. in that push to return to office. Um, because, you know, when you look at the actual reasons that they're, you know, telling people to come back, a little shaky, those. Yeah, oh yeah. Because <laughs> yeah, it's kind of funny you mentioned real estate, Tim. Because when when we first went remote uh, back in two thousand, you know, twelve, two thousand thirteen, fourteen, that that time frame, um, a lot of it was the fact that we were kind of held hostage to our real estate. And I, at that time, I said, you know, as an accountant, I thought, hey, this is everybody should own their own real estate and blah blah blah. And then then what happened was we started making decisions on how many office spaces we had left. Uh, whether we hire that person now or later, or do we put people in cubes or you know, how, how do we, how do we manage around the office space? Now it's kind of the opposite where now they got an abundancy of office space mm -hmm. <laughs> and they're making the same decisions, but they're basing it on that. So it's kind of a, it's, it's kind of how, how that's really kind of, you know, turned completely, you know, from, you know, 10 years ago to, to now, same, same situation. They're letting the office dictate their, their, um, yeah. you know, their business mm -hmm. And, and I do, I mean, you know, real estate, commercial real estate is an important part of the economy. So I do, you know, I'm not gonna, you know, say eh, everybody give up their office leases. I, you know, I think that mm -hmm. that could have, you know, some, some repercussions well, that might sure. be less than ideal. Um, but when it comes to, you know, offering workplace flexibility, I, I would just question the reasoning, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, um, just be, I, I would prefer companies to be transparent about the reasons, right. For mm -hmm. rescinding any kind of flexible work options, because to me, you know, veiling it with, you know, I, we care about productivity and we care about culture that mm -hmm. to me is not genuine. And to me that, that means that, employees are just not likely to trust, right. you know, um, any kind of decision that the employer might make when it comes to shifting their policies. And, you know, employers have every right to do whatever they want. A company can do yeah. whatever they want. They can offer remote work. They cannot offer remote work. Um, but, and they can be honest about the reasons or they cannot be honest about the reasons and they're within their rights to do that. Um, but then they need to be aware that, employees and the workforce are are smart and we're going mm -hmm. to make decisions based on alignment with our values and if we value transparency and we value flexibility we're not likely to look positively on a company that is not genuine mm -hmm. yeah tam you mentioned trust you know jerry i'd like to kind of pass this to you mm -hmm. um I, I think trust is like you know control but i think it's i think it comes down to trust you know if if you have got a really trusting company where trust is a a big part of what you do, I, I think remote works fine, you know, but if, if it's not a trust where you don't trust your people, you don't trust that they're going to be doing the work. I think that's where it might start, you know, kind of fall apart. And, and Joey, kind of asking you the same question there. I know you've got an experience outside of, mm -hmm. outside of working with, uh, you know, Anders here. What, what, what's your, what's your thought about that coming into this environment and maybe an environment you had prior to this? Well, I do think it's, it does come down to trust and it, um, Tammy, I think you mentioned earlier that it, it comes down to how you measure trust, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. When you were mentioning 
those types of managers who rely on that one type of, of, you know, validation of their skills as managers, I went to the same thought, which was, okay, that means you're not a great manager because there's so much more to being a good manager than just making sure your attendance is perfect. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, it comes down to empowering your teams. It comes down to creating systems and processes that allow people to either have feedback, but also have constant connection. You know, we used a tool here in the office that we've, it's, as we've grown, we, I think I find we use it a little bit less, but it's still there. It's called Sococo and you have the ability to see where everybody yeah. in your office is. And I loved that tool because I could see Jody and Adam having a conversation in Jody's office, or I could see my senior talking with her integrity person in her office. And I know that people are collaborating in that respect, even though we're hundreds of miles away in, in certain cases, a, a whole continent away from that type of thing. And I never felt micromanaged in this. The expectations were very clear. There are certain deliverables that you're going to need to hit. And Jody and Adam were great about saying, we don't really care how you get there. You just need to get there. And yeah. I love that. It gave me authority and autonomy over my decision making, which was wonderful. Yeah. But, uh, you know, you you mentioned something that I just want to comment on and, and uh, about not being a great manager. And I think that so many managers, unfortunately, are not prepared. You know, it's not that they don't have the capacity to be a great manager, but they don't have the resources. They've not been given, you know, the training. They've not been given the mentorship and the coaching, and they've definitely not been given the time <laughs> to, right. you know, to learn new skills and to implement them in a way that is going to be recognized and rewarded, right? Um, so a, a manager that is, you know, is managing 20 direct reports and is pulled in many different directions, if they take time to you know, become the best remote manager that they can, are they going to be rewarded for that? Or, or are they going to be penalized for that? Um, and so it's really important for companies to prioritize developing the best managers that they can. Um, and that comes with providing training and providing coaching and mentorship and time. And I can't mm -hmm. reiterate that enough because um, we're just not given enough time to learn uh, mm -hmm. in our jobs. Yeah. Talk about managing. We've recently just went from a fully distributed, you know, company where we didn't have an office and nobody, you know, we're spread all, all over the United States, mostly the United States and some in Canada, some in other countries. And, uh, now we're going to working with a company we merged with a company that was fully, you know, fully brick and mortar that is, is trying to go remote. You know, they're, they're you know, they're doing the, the two to three day, you know, in the office and then out of the office type type of a type mm -hmm. of experiment there. Um, when we when we merge our two groups together, we've got a, a group of 18 folks or so and then a group of 50 folks that are fully remote and kind of merging them together. How, how do you how do you manage that? You know, if, if you if you've always been the brick and mortar type. Uh, where you've had the brick and mortar and you're managing your office and you see their people and they're they're there most of the time and then you've got these folks that are coming that aren't even gonna they're never gonna be in the office H how does a manager manage that so it's fair uh so that uh you know the, the fairness has to come in there right oh how, yeah how you need to you need to make sure that everyone can achieve the same outcomes you know, in uh, no matter where they're located. So um, the first step that I would recommend is really looking at those uh, performance metrics. Um, mm -hmm. How are you measuring performance of each of those individuals and really auditing them and saying, and I, I realizing I'm using the word audit with, <laughs> you know, 
financial professionals or tax okay. professionals. So like that has a, you know, baggage, you know, mm -hmm. but like really assess, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, your performance metrics, um, to make sure that they're achievable, uh, and measurable, whether that employee is remote or in person. Um, so if you're using any kind of metric that is like based on presence or, you know, anything that could be coded as in person, um, mm -hmm. that needs to be adjusted so that it is equitable. Um, so that's the first thing that I would suggest. And then, so that's performance metrics. The second mm -hmm. thing is, um, you know, I would really recommend looking at your culture and how, um, how you're enabling employees at all locations, how you're enabling them to really connect with one another and to mm -hmm. connect with the organization and the mission. Um, so, you know, what kind of rituals did you have in office? How could you make sure that the purpose of that ritual can be replicated online? And I'm not saying that, you know, if you have a happy hour in person, you should have that translates exactly to a virtual happy hour. Because mm -hmm. um, often, you know, I think that's that's the easy default way to, you know, translate in-person mm -hmm. culture to virtual culture. And that doesn't always work because virtual happy hours are kind of, you know, not as fun as, right. you know. <laughs> Exactly. At the, at the end of the day, you're still drinking alone at your yeah, this time. Mildly, exactly. Yeah. You're basically like encouraging what you want to discourage, which is, you know, um, so really thinking about how you can, like, what's the, what's the feeling that we get when we are, you know, having that happy hour and how can we replicate something like that in uh, a way where everybody can, can participate that wants to, and you have that end result be the same. Um, so first thing, performance metrics. Second thing is, mm -hmm. um, you know, what are the examples, the manifestations of culture and how does everyone participate in those? Um, and then the third thing I would say is really look at your like default methods for getting work done and office-based managers and office-based employees of all levels, I would say, usually default to some sort of meeting to get work done. And that is, you know, I would say pretty true in, in most organizations, you know, in general. Um, it's just easier, you know, we have a decision to make. Let's like, let's meet later this week and let's hash this out and let's make a decision or, you know, let's brainstorm some ideas for the retreat for next year. Um, let's all have a meeting. Like the, the default is to schedule a meeting. And that is a very office centric method of getting work done um, because you're excluding the people who then can't be in the meeting, whether that's because of scheduling, whether that's because of location, um, whether that's because of, you know, they're just not able to join. Um, mm -hmm. So a much more inclusive approach to work, um, and especially for a manager that's used to having everyone around them all the time, um, it's much more inclusive to adopt more async first practices mm -hmm. um, so that you can include everyone in that process, regardless of where they're located and regardless of what their schedule is. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit more, more about that, the async uh, communication, the difference between sync, sync, sync and async and... Yeah. Why you prefer one versus the other? 
Yeah. So uh, synchronous and asynchronous communication, um, there's lots of ways to categorize communication types, but um, the difference between sync and async is that synchronous communication happens simultaneously. So this conversation between all of us right now is a synchronous, is an example of synchronous communication. Async or asynchronous communication is any communication that does not happen simultaneously. So there's an inherent delay between the message being sent and the message being received and then the reply you know, getting sent. So mm -hmm. uh, in its ideal form, email is an example of asynchronous communication, right? I send the email and Jody might respond today or we might respond tomorrow or he might not respond, you know, depending on, <laughs> on what the purpose of the message was. But um, uh, so the reason that it's important to understand this difference is to, is to think about how much time we spend during the workday on synchronous communication. Um, so think about how many meetings you're in, right? How many convert phone calls you're in. Um, and when you're in a meeting with five other people, with 10 other people, that's not just an hour of company time. It's one hour times however many people are there. So it's, mm -hmm. you know, 10 hours of company time in a meeting. And is that the best use of company time, right? To accomplish that particular purpose. Mm -hmm. um, so in most companies, there's an imbalance of synchronous and asynchronous. The default is usually sync communication to get anything done. Um, and in teams that are very adaptable and can and can effectively employ people from multiple time zones and you know with different schedules those are the teams that adopt an async first approach which shifts that default from synchronous to asynchronous so instead of saying let's schedule a meeting to talk about this it's how can we do this asynchronously how can we get input from multiple people you know, on their own time so that they've had a chance to think and contribute thoughtfully to this idea. Um, so it's really just shifting that default um, and thinking about how can we structure work so that it allows for more people to participate in a way that, you know, give amplifies voices that you wouldn't necessarily hear from. Mm -hmm. um, and that allows uh, a lot more flexibility for pretty much every single process you can think of. Um, so in terms of decision making, you know, you can really reduce the amount of synchronous time needed to make a decision because you've really thoughtfully laid out each step of the process um, to ensure that as many people that need to be involved are involved um, and you are um, thinking more about the end objective instead of, you know, just defaulting to an easy meeting. Would you say it's a good idea to have a good balance between synchronous and asynchronous communication, or do you think one should outweigh the other? Yeah. So we talk a lot at Workplaceless about the balance of sync and async. Um, and an async first approach does not mean async only. There's many opportunities or many situations in which a synchronous approach is best. Uh, we've developed a framework called the Placeless Taxonomy. And this is a categorization of communication types or purposes and how easy they are to achieve asynchronously. 
So mm -hmm. bottom, so the easiest to achieve async is informing. So if I have an update to share, you know, scheduling a synchronous meeting to share that update is not a good use of synchronous time, right? That can easily be shared asynchronously. Mm -hmm. um, the hardest type of communication to achieve async is connecting. So developing trust, developing that, you know, that psychological safety, uh, mm -hmm. really developing social capital across the organization. It's very challenging to achieve completely async. You can incorporate certainly some async um, components there, like sending messages, et cetera. But to really develop a, a really strong connection with somebody else, you do need synchronous time. And the benefit of using a framework like that is that you can shift some of the processes or some of the time that you're spending in synchronous meetings uh, that can be easily converted to async. So informing or collaborating, you can shift those meetings to async processes. So you have more time for deep work. So you can really focus on, on uh, any kind of task that requires like, uh, you know, a lot of focus mm -hmm. and you can also save more time for building those connections. So when you have a situation in which, um, you've, you found that employees are just not connecting with one another, or there seems to be like not a lot of time to engage, really look at how much time you're allowing team members to connect, um, and shifting some of those meetings that could be shifted to async so that team members then have an opportunity to really connect with one another on a on a meaningful basis is there a, a tool or a piece of technology that you'd like to kind of help increase the odds of having successful asynchronous communication i think we use clickup as one that we use as kind of like our task management tool and we use we've talked about mural which is a company we both have some experience with, and we use Miro as another tool. Is there anything outside of those that you guys are, are using and liking? Yeah, uh, we actually use ClickUp and we love ClickUp. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think really, uh, I like to say that we're tool agnostic because mm -hmm. as long as you have the processes and the mindset and like the skills to use a tool effectively, you can use it and still be effective. Like if you just have Google Drive, like you can implement a lot of the things that we're talking about here, right? Mm -hmm. um, there's no like magic tool that's going to make you a successful remote team uh, or hybrid team, right? Mm -hmm. um, it really does hinge on the capabilities of the people using the tools. Um, so I don't necessarily like to prescribe tools, like specific tools, although you know we have the ones that we use, which are ClickUp and Slack and Mural. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I like to talk about like categories of tools. Um, so you do need, you know, a messaging tool, right? So mm -hmm. I guess some people could use email, but <laughs> I wouldn't <laughs> recommend not, it. Not this guy. Yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> some sort of messaging tool, um, and especially one that allows for, um, you know, public and private messaging, you know, so you can, um, you know, adjust the visibility of mm -hmm. conversations and information. And then a project management tool, I would say, you know, like ClickUp um, is a really, you know, I, I would say that's a non-negotiable even for like a one person shop mm -hmm. like i don't know how people keep track of their the things that they have to do without some sort of 
tool like there, that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, and then, you know, if you do collaborate with others, I think a visual collaboration tool like Mural is probably up there on in terms of, you know, a must have just because of, um, you know, the limitations that a linear type of document has when it comes to really thinking of, of different ways to approach problems. Um, and I really like the frameworks that that Mural has like incorporated into templates to, mm -hmm. to help people think through different problems and questions. Um, so those are some of the big categories, I would say. Um, yeah, I don't know if that was a non-answer. No, I think I think you, you answered it perfectly because you gave people a framework, right? Because ClickUp yeah. might not be the right solution for everybody, but that project management type solution should be right for everybody. I think to yeah. uh, my wife's tax practice that they that she works in, where they don't use ClickUp, but they use something very similar to kind of manage the tasks, and that's made her her job as a as a hybrid, almost fully remote employee at this point very very easy to see instantly yeah. where her whole team sits, where some of the holes are, expectations. So I like that there's at least a framework for folks to think through if they're curious about how they can improve the yeah. situation. Yeah. And any tool like that is going to provide visibility into, into work, right? As mm -hmm. you said. So, you know, it should alleviate, you know, micromanagement if <laughs> it's used well and if expectations are like clearly shared, you know, um, right. So there's no reason for me to check in on somebody's work if they're, um, if they're updating, you know, their project management tool as I expect them to, right. Mm -hmm. Ideally. Um, but it, you know, a lot of the, the tools that are being developed really can help a lot of the problems that come up in virtual work. But again, it comes down to the capability of that person using the tool. Um, and are they able to use it well? So. Well, we typically try to end our, we, we've talked a lot about important business stuff, but we typically like to try to end our shows with some fun questions. And Ooh. Jody and I did not discuss in advance who was yeah. going to come up with the fun question. I've got uh, one in my back pocket, Jody, but I was I wanted to check with you to see if you've got one. Oh, you've too. got one in your back pocket? I've got one in my back pocket. So um, I, I would say, I think, you know, you know, we, we both, we've all three, you know, spoken with a lot of people over the, uh, over the years, a lot of different jobs uh, that, that they've had, you know, remote, non-remote, brick and mortar, all that kind of stuff. I would say, what's the most unusual job that you've ever had? And, and Joey, I'm going to start with you on that. The most unusual job you've ever had. Okay, so the most the most unusual job. I'll say I'll say this is an unusual job for an accountant. So the most unusual job that I had for an accountant later in life was I spent a summer in Wichita, which Jody and I have bonded over our love for Wichita, as his daughter lives in Wichita for at least the yes. foreseeable future. <laughs> Um, when I was in college over a summer and I did an internship with a radio station where I was intern Joey answering phone calls and routing stuff through the radio station and doing nice. all that, giving out some ridiculous hot sports takes and, and just really just having some fun with the, the local radio show in Wichita. It was a lot of fun. 
That sounds so fun. Account, yeah, accountant radio. Very non-accountanty type answer. All like the rest it. of my jobs have been very much like, oh, this guy's definitely an accountant. So <laughs> <laughs> that's probably the one that doesn't fit. Okay, Tammy, let's hear yours. Um, so I was on semester at sea for a semester, and I was the IT assistant, IT coordinator. So I helped people like connect to the internet. This was like in 2009. So, you know, we definitely had the internet, but on a cruise mm -hmm. ship, it was um, spotty at best. And like, I think there were a very low number of people that could be connected to the internet at the same time. So my job was helping support um, people who needed to connect uh, online nice. and uh, helped with the, we had like a little computer lab. And then also we had um, what were called lifelong learners. So they were, um, it was mostly students on the ship, but okay. in like college age students, but mm -hmm. there were also lifelong learners who um, were, most of them were like retired, you know, professionals and they came on board and a, a significant number of them. One of the reasons that they came on board was they wanted to improve their computer skills. So um, helping uh, some of the lifelong learners like access access the internet and use computers. Um, so that was the most unusual just because there were, is a first and only time I've ever worked in that capacity. And also to have like the uh, challenges of like connectivity on a, on a cruise ship in 2009. Yeah. Um, wow. And then of course I got to see the world, which was pretty awesome. Yeah. I was gonna say that would be really cool. But where, yeah. where did your cruise ship, where, where do you typically go on a cruise ship? Um, so that voyage, we started in Canada and we went to, um, Spain, then Morocco, Ghana, uh, South Africa, Mauritius, India, Vietnam, China, Japan, Hawaii, and then ended in San Diego. It was pretty, oh pretty awesome way to see the world. Were you able to get off the cruise ship at all? Or were you on it? Oh yeah. Yeah. I was, um, you know, the semester at sea is uh, usually affiliated with a, a university. So at that time, it was okay. University of Virginia. Mm -hmm. um, and so they had uh, faculty and staff members um, from like higher education uh, join. And so I was, you know, one of those, one of those lucky people. So I got to, got to work on the cruise ship. But yeah, so that's my most unique yeah, that, that's definitely a lucky person, man. I, yeah. I, I definitely went to the wrong school because I didn't. I wasn't offered that <laughs> opportunity. You could go, the lifelong learners. You can, anyone can go. Actually, um, I there was this one family, and it was a very young couple. They were probably in their thirties, and they had like young kids, and they were part of the lifelong learner problem uh, program. And I was like, oh, that's my my dream. Like, <laughs> that's, uh, that's awesome. Just travel the world. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, wow. So I, I'm not going to be able to beat either one of yours. My, my uh, <laughs> most unusual job was while going, well, actually a couple different things. I, I sold knives while I was in going to college. That's how I paid my way through college. So I sold knives. But before that, uh, in high school, I shoveled horse manure. So that was uh, my big job is to go to the horse stalls and all day long and shovel horse manure. And uh that was probably the uh, most disgusting job I think I've ever had. <laughs> yeah. Where did you grow up? Uh, Indiana. So Indiana, I, okay. and uh, so there's not a ton of ranches, horse ranches there, but uh, I happen to live by one and that's. You found the one. <laughs> yeah, I found the one. I got $50 for a day's worth of work. How about that? <laughs> you know? Hey. Did you, uh, did you walk uphill both ways in the snow while you were doing it, Jody? Yeah, it was pretty much. I had to walk there. <laughs> 
wow. walk there and walk back. Yeah. And so I, I imagine that was not your favorite job. Oh, and by far not my favorite job. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I'd say I right up with public accounting, right? Right. One, one two. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Tammy, thanks so much for, for joining us today. This was a, a great episode. And I think there's a lot of stuff that our, our listeners are going to be able to, to pull from this. And, and I think there's a few things, even those of us who've been in the remote world for a long time can pull from this as some, some things, just to, even if it's doing a, a technology audit to make sure, and I'm going to use that audit word again, it's not a bad word in the accounting mm -hmm. industry. It's something we deal not with Not a bad word, but it just has a, a very special meaning, I think. That's true. That's true. <laughs> Um, just to make sure we're doing everything correctly. So um, for our listeners who might be looking to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to learn more about you um, and your practice? Yeah, so you can find Workplaceless at workplaceless.com and you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, so Tammy Bieland, my last name is B-J-E-L-L-A-N-D. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Thanks Tammy. Enjoy this podcast? Visit our website, summitcpa.net, to get more tips and strategy for achieving business success. We're here to be a resource in this ever-changing industry.